0: 2022 SBC Pastors Conference in Anaheim, California, 12 pastors led us through Colossians verse by verse with the theme, We Proclaim Him. We also heard six homilies that dealt with topics such as problems pastors face, spiritual issues, mission involvement, evangelism, doctrinal fidelity, and practical church issues, all of which were topics envisioned by the late M.E who founded the SBC Pastors Conference in 1935. Tune in and be encouraged as you make your way through Colossians and other practical messages from the 2022 Pastors Conference, made possible in part by Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary. My brothers and sisters, I am so thankful to be here with you all this afternoon. Uh, I had to run up out of that uh, comedy show with Brother Tim because I was going to be laughing too hard to be able to preach, And uh, but I hope you enjoyed the lunch and the time together and hear about what's going on with NAM. and um, that's uh, very important to me because I myself am a church planter with NAM, and uh, it's been such a privilege to leave the great country of Texas, and that's uh, a little joke, I, it's... it's uh you know, but uh, left Texas, answered the call to go to Miami to plant a church, and we've just seen God's faithfulness, and I am grateful. Go up, my check. Okay, I, I'll use this. I shared with uh, some of the brothers that uh, in God's sovereignty, I'm I'm really thrilled to be here preaching. Um, through the book of Colossians with my brothers because last year God laid on my heart to, to write a, a study guide and devotional, however it would help people to be released this May. And uh, lo and behold, I'm invited to come preach and we're preaching Colossians, which is a, a strong book that I, one of my favorites. And so I am grateful for this opportunity. I'm gonna invite you to pray with me and we're gonna dive into chapter three as we continue walking through the book of Colossians. Father, I am grateful for this opportunity. I am grateful for your faithfulness that is seen on and on and on, that you fulfill every promise. And Lord, we come now simply by your grace and your mercy to open up your word, to hear from you. So I ask, Lord, that you use me as a vessel to communicate your truth so that we may be built up, encouraged, and challenged to live out all that you've called us to be and do for the glory and honor of Jesus, who is the Christ. And it's in that matchless name we pray, amen. Amen. I'm reading the first 11 verses of Colossians chapter three. And it says, so if you have been raised with Christ, seek the things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things, for you died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Therefore, put to death what belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desire, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, God's wrath is coming upon the disobedient, and you once walked in these things when you were living in them. But now put away all the following, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and filthy language from your mouth. Do not lie to one another. Since you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, you are being renewed in knowledge according to the image of your Creator. In Christ there is not Greek and Jew, circumcision and uncircumcision, barbarian, Scythian, slave and free, but Christ is all in all. On January 1st of every year, you'll hear a mantra that's very common uh, in pretty much every sphere of life you go to, and especially on social media. And you'll hear this phrase: "New Year, new me." And people make. All sorts of New Year's resolutions that they're gonna lose weight, they're gonna get in shape, they're gonna run that half marathon, they're gonna finally run that marathon, they're gonna read a certain number of books, they're gonna pick up a new trade. Unfortunately, by about mid February, all those goals go by the wayside. And the reason is, is because oftentimes they want this newness of life and yet forget that the old habits and the old practices and the old ways have to be removed. Meaning, I'm not going to get healthy and get in the shape and fitness level I desire if I keep making the same purchases of the honey buns and the ding-dongs and the Twinkies. I got to trade those things. Now, I know I'm used to walking down that aisle. I know where that aisle is. And I'm telling my wife, I don't know where the produce is, so I'm going to go where I know to go. But I, I, I have learned and we've all learned if we're going to reach these goals we're going to have to do something different and we see here in this text when he speaks about this new you, being this new you, there are some things that have to change. Now. I know this is a pastor's conference, and many of you all have probably preached this text, and I was praying, and I was like, you know, I I could preach and exegete this passage, but this is a preacher's conference, so I'm going to make this very much applicable to you pastors. Now, if you're not a pastor and you're sitting in here, I want you to tune in because we're going to be in the Word of God, and there's going to be some application, but I do want to set this record straight that I am speaking to you, pastor, because often we'll read this passage, and we have in mind the church member and not ourselves. We think we've graduated beyond these 11 verses when in fact we need to take an inventory every now and then to see, oh, is this speaking to me right now? When we speak about this new you, he starts off in verse 1 and says, so if you have been raised with Christ, seek the things above. In these first couple of verses, there are two imperatives that he states, and it's all about our new motivations. When you think about something, and I'm, I'm going to move around a little bit. I like to move. I hope my mic is good. Okay. okay I'm going to stay. I'm going to stay centered. They want me to stay in place. If I get fidgety, that's because I like to move. You heard I was a wide receiver, so I don't look like it now. I look like a linebacker, but um, I like to move around. We talk about motivations. Most, if not everything we do, follows some sort of motivation. When I talked about the new you and and the beginning of the year, you know, we have this motivation that I want to look a certain way by summertime when I go to the beach. I want to read these books because I want to be equipped to have certain conversations. Whatever kind of motivation you have follows certain actions, meaning you have this motivation and now you're going to act on it because you want to achieve it. I, I see someone and I want to, I want to be like that. I, I, I want to be able to do that. I want to be able to say I had that experience, whatever the motivation is. You, you've read in my bio and you heard some of the people speak that, you know, when I was growing up and had aspirations for NFL, I was like, hey, I want to be on TV. And I want to say, hey mama. And then I got in college and I was falling deeper and deeper in love with Jesus and I was praying and I was like, look, I want to be good enough so I can get on TV and I want to tell people I love Jesus. I don't want to be a preacher though. God had other plans. We all have motivations and as pastor to pastor, I want to ask you for what you do as pastor. What are your motivations as pastor? Are your motivations to grow a large church so you can gain more respect in the community? Is your aspiration and motivation to make an impact in the community so people know to look for you for help? Do you, do you want comfort? Do you want money? Do, is there a certain car that you've been striving for and you think you've been preaching long enough, you've been working long enough, now you can reward yourself? What are your motivations for what you do? I'm inviting you to ask yourself, what are your motivations? Because our motivations contribute to even our disappointments, meaning as a church planter, you know, COVID hit us, we were meeting in a the movie theater and we got shut down and I was feeling down and out. I was like, I don't know how we gonna do this. I'm just gonna set up my iPhone in and my, and my, and my, my den with all seven of my kids and we just gonna sing. And I'm gonna preach a sermon and whoever watches it, watches it. And then we start regathering and I start not hearing from people that were gathering with us before COVID pandemic. And we had people moving out of the city and even moving out of the state due to... housing prices in Miami, South Florida and I started to feel so dejected and I had to check my own motivations because I realized that my I was motivated by the wrong things when it came to my call as a church planter in Miami because I was thinking these people belong to me. And I started to feel like a failure when they weren't responding like I thought they should and I was missing out on… I, I got so upset. We had a baptism It was last August, and I remember this so vividly. We were leaving the beach. We baptized 13 people. And I was excited, and then I got so dejected because I hadn't heard from two families. And I said, I'm disappointed by the wrong thing and not celebrating the right thing because I found out my motivations are off kilter because in this passage, what should my motivation be? I should be setting my mind on the things above. I should be seeking the things above, which are Christ. So, when we say motivations, we're talking about where is my focus? Are my goals for personal achievement or are my goals Christ and Christ likeness? He says to seek the things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Now, I want you to understand the connection because just before this, he spoke about dying to these old things of the world, dying to this old life. And then he picks up here speaking about since you've been raised with Christ, we seek him meaning all of our motivations, all of our mindsets, everything we're thinking about is Christ and that which belongs to Christ and everything else, he'll handle it. What's your motivations? Is your motivation to pursue Christ, to, to, to point to Christ, is your motivation Christ-likeness? Is your motivation to look more and more like Jesus, to fulfill the mission that God has given you through Christ, or is it the, some of these earthly things that is spoken of here? Now I want you to understand something because he's speaking to a specific audience. Remember, he's writing to the church. He's writing to believers here. And he makes this statement that sometimes if you read it, you may think, oh, is this kind of hypothetical if you've been raised with Christ? For my Bible scholars, that's a first-class condition. It's basically, since you have been raised, meaning he's saying, look, the truth of your corporate identity in the resurrection of Jesus Christ corresponds to the truth that your mindset and your motivation should only be Him. And if it doesn't belong to Him, pertain to Him, look like Him, kick it to the curb. He says seek these things above. And then He let you know why this motivation is so significant, He says that Christ is seated at the right hand of God. We see this even back in the Old Covenant, especially in the Psalms, and even in the prophet Isaiah, that the right hand was a place of prestige and, and power. They're saying that also we see even in the New Testament, that seated at the right hand is that His work is finished, victory won. So when we think about what our motivation is, we are motivated by the victory won by Christ alone. And everything I do flows out of my mindset in pursuing Christ, even as pastor. Now we'll be sitting here and thinking like, man, you hear this saying often, it says, you know, you're too heavenly minded to be any earthly good. I'll argue against that right here in this text, meaning I am absolutely no earthly good if I am not uh, heavenly minded. I must be heavenly-minded if I'm going to do any good thing in this world because any good thing only pertains to Christ, and that's the only thing that matters. I've learned that even personally. I was working out one day, and uh, I had on some... University of Miami gear. Go Canes, right? I was had some gear and, you know, won a national championship 2001, played with a lot of already Hall of Fame teammates and future Hall of Famers. And it, it was an honor and a privilege. And I was speaking to a young man and I was saying, the only things you do for Christ matter. Nothing else matters. And the brother's sister was sitting over here and I said, hey, you, you know what this is? I pointed at the big U, orange and green U on my chest. And she said, I don't know. And I said, I literally, I said, you know what, I think this is the greatest thing in the world besides Jesus. And she gave me a shoulder shrug like, I don't know. Just reiterated more. The only thing that matters and has any significance is that which belongs to Christ. And that is our motivation. And that is where our mindset should constantly be. He says we seek these things." And then he says this. He says, our lives are hidden in him. So this is what our motivation is. He's saying like our eternal security is secure. It's guaranteed. What else could you ask for? What else do you need? He says that everything we have when it comes to life is in Christ. Our life is hidden with Him, and when He appears, He points to right now what we ought to be doing. I, I, I'm, I'm one of those already-not-yet theologians, right, you know, like already we're experiencing the kingdom when we wait for the consummation and He speaks. Right now we experience Him as we seek Him in all that we do, as we await the guarantee that He will return and we will be with Him. What more motivation you need? That's a guarantee. You know nothing else is guaranteed. You can get get any kind of stock tip you want. It might fall through. Let me tell you something. Every promise that the Lord makes is guaranteed. There's nothing else you need to be seeking. We saw this before in chapter 2 when my brothers were preaching through it, that there is no other ideology, no other worldview. There's nothing else that any faith or ideology system has to offer. It's all Christ's. He says, this is our motivation. The guaranteed hope in Christ. That's our motivation. That's what we work out of, and we work from victory. We've already won. So why do we get worried? Why do, why, why do we get scared? I'm talking to me. You know, I'm I always feel like, you know, who's gonna show up today? And we get a good crowd, I'm like, thank you, Lord. I'm like, why do I worry? I said, Seeking the things above, I'm, I'm seeking that which belongs to Christ. And he moves from there and he says, look, I want you to understand these are your motivations. Therefore, based off this guaranteed hope and based on you pursuing Christ and Christ alone and seeking the things above, not the earthly things, your value system has changed. You no longer use the scorecard that the world uses. Your scorecard has changed, it belongs to Christ. Therefore, put to death what belongs to your earthly nature. It's like, oh man, put to death? See, he's speaking about this This old self is gone. He, he uses language, put to death. You, you know what that means? Kill it. That's, that's, that's a real poetic way, like put to death. No, like unalive it. That's a cartoon where somebody says that, like, kill it. You know what we mean by, I love movies. And I have fallen into sci-fi movies. I even like monster movies. I don't like really horror movies. It's something about a monster movie that just gives me satisfaction. Because, you know, at the end, you know, you kill the monster, right? You, know, you kill it. Monster comes through, wreaks havoc, destruction, death. Monster's a problem. You know what you don't do with a monster? You don't capture it and play with it. I was getting frustrated. I, the old, back in the 80s, you know, it was popular. It was a monster or something trying to kill you, and the, the monster get hit with something, and it lays there, and people walk up to it real slow, and they, they nudge it, they push it, they, they poke it with a stick. And I'm like, no, take the 12-gauge and shoot it in the head. Now, you may be like, that's too graphic, pastor. OK, if that's too graphic, let me go to a biblical illustration. I want you to David it. I want you to take the sling. Put it between its eyes. When it drops dead, don't just leave it there dead. Take its own sword and chop its head off and hold it up. and say, give me my princess and my money. He says, kill it. But what does he say? He's, we talking about a different kind of monster. The monster is you. It's your old self. He says, put to death, and then he goes through this vice list, and this vice list is not exhaustive, but it very, it's very much important, and he starts with a phrase that's used that Jesus likes to start off with, Paul starts off with, we see uh, Peter, he starts off, you, you might think, put, put, put to death these things, and he doesn't start with idolatry, what does he start with? Sexual morality. It's like, old pastor, here we go. If we don't think we're all subject to it, we on ourselves. He said sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desire and greed, which is idolatry. Isn't that an interesting list he decided to go with? Inspired of the Holy Spirit, this is what he writes. And we see this was important to Jesus because when we think about we are created in the image and likeness of God. He created male and female. He has created us to be sexual beings and he's given us parameters in which to enjoy in freedom with a husband and wife. Satan comes with a different agenda. And what does he say? Paul told the Corinthians that sexual morality is a unique sin. Sin against the body. We are temples of the Holy Spirit. God lives in us. Glorify God with your body. God cares who we engage with. God has designed us, God cares, and he says, look, I have given you blessing and freedom, so pastor, guard yourselves. Guard your heart, guard your mind. You wanna know how you guard your heart and your mind? You need to be prayerful, and in a practical way, with prayer, watch what you listen to, and watch what you give your attention to with your eyes. Statistics are staggering when we look at pastors that are struggling, and I'm using the word struggling, struggling with pornography, let alone those who are not struggling with it, they just giving over to it. I think it's not a big deal. He says, put it to death. Take the shotgun, shoot it in the head. Chop it head off. He says, impurity, that's moral corruption. We think that just belongs to the world and we see Church leader after church leader falling victim to, yeah, I use that word on purpose because they're not falling victim to, they fall into the downward spiral of sin because it's gone unchecked and they have become so morally impure that the practices and habits in which they even do ministry are foul as any business person in the world. How we treat people. We see pastors that are straight bullying people. I know of a pastor that called a guy out, told him to meet halfway between his city and the other city, meet him at McDonald's for a fight. That's a true story. That's a true story. And I was like, oh my goodness, you got to be kidding me. This attitude that can seep into the minds of pastors and leaders, he says, put it to death, that old self is gone, if you've been raised with Christ. We gotta think about that old self, it's, it's put to death, but it, you, you, know, you may have read and you heard me say, You know, we have seven children. I know, I, it, you know the Lord is blessing. We have seven children. And one of the things we go through is hand-me-downs, you know, they, they pass on clothes and stuff. And it's always interesting when one of the kids falls in love with a piece of clothing that they just can't wear. And I'm like, you know how foolish you look walking around with that shirt on? You know how crazy you look with those pants on? I had to fight my teenage boy for so long. I'm like, you're going you gonna to change pants, buddy. That growth spread hit, and I'm like, you got to, you got you to, gotta, it's, it's, go, it's done away with. Don't, don't go back. We're moving on. We've grown. We've seen throughout this letter, Paul's prayer and charge is for growth and spiritual maturity. And here he says, put these things to death. That's that's that third imperative. But then the next imperative, he says something similar. He says, Put away anger, wrath, malice, slander, and filthy language from your mouth. Remember, this vice list is not exhaustive, but it's informative. The Holy Spirit gave him this to write. And you think about anger, like, you know, I I can get angry. But you read in James 1, he said, Human anger does not achieve God's righteousness. So when you you bring in human anger and and, and our wrath, we take matters into our own hands. We wanna make people pay. They hurt me, I'ma make you pay. You embarrass me, I'ma embarrass you. And that's why we see all the foolishness we do even on social media. We take it out. We don't take the heart, the words that we use. He even says this filthy language. I am heartbroken. Whenever, and it's not often, but every now and then I'm heartbroken. If I get around a certain group of pastors and the conversation sounds just like it was when I was in the locker room, I'm like, What are we doing? What are we doing? Do you know how this affects our witness? Do you know how it affects your ministry? Do you know how it affects you? He says, Put these. Things away, And when you go up, he looked even this vice list and right after greed, he says, it's idolatry. You think about it, sometimes we can get so caught up in the greed, meaning we want more and we want more and we can never be content with what God has said yes and amen to in our lives. We prayed for it. We receive it. I want more. It's not enough. We do that when we place those things, or whatever it is we are chasing after when it comes to greed, we put it on the throne of our lives instead of having God sit where only he is supposed to sit in our lives. That's why he says it's idolatry. We kill these earthly members, we put these things away. And then you know, I I like, he comes, he, he, he throws in just one more imperative. He says, do not lie to one another The world has little white lies or had truths or my truth, your truth. Let me tell you something. Truth is truth, whether you know it, like it, or agree with it. Don't twist words. Don't misrepresent. One of the things that's become popular in social media, even amongst pastors, is that we'll take a clip of somebody, and one thing we disagree with, and we do away with the context of whatever was being said, and we misrepresent a person just to make enemies towards them. Shame on us for that. Misrepresentation is a lie. We got people mad at other people that they never met and never even heard. Just cause somebody else said something about them and they didn't even know what they were talking about. And then we go share it with somebody else and it's a bold faced lie. He says, don't do it. You know what I love about commands in the scripture? And this is something that's to humble us. I like to tell my people in Miami, I say, and, my, and my, my wife and my kids, I said, whenever we read an imperative in the text, we have to humble ourselves and we got to embrace the truth that I need the Holy Spirit to do that. Because I may find myself in a situation, and if I stand in my own strength, I will fail. If God commanded it, I know I can do it, but I need the Holy Spirit to do it. He says, put these things away since you've put off the old self with his practices. He says, you put on the new self. You've been renewed in the knowledge of God according to the image of your creator. And I want you to notice something. He says, these practices stuff, he said, this is is the lifestyle of the disobedient that will receive wrath. Let's live how who we are. We are followers. We are committed disciples of Jesus Christ. Act like it. Because why? There's a new you, truly. We have been buried with Christ, he says, and we have been raised with Christ, he says, unto the newness of life. There's a new you, there's a new me. We're not the same. And you know, when there's a new you and a new me, there are some things that how we used to roll, we can't roll like that anymore. And I told you, you know, one of the things I came to realization was I remembered raising teenagers that I remember when I started to hit puberty. And I found my kids doing the same thing that they did when they started hitting puberty. You know what that is? You know, before puberty, uh, you don't think bathing is a big deal. And deodorant, let, you can't spell it, let alone use it, right? All of a sudden, puberty started hitting in and they get in that car you go in that room and you're like, look, you're gonna take a bath and you're gonna put on some deodorant. I went and picked up one of my babies from a, 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 a middle school. They had like a middle school sock hop. I walked in that gym and I started praying for all the teachers because it was the worst smell. It was smelling smell your life. And I am like, we got to teach these babies, don't just spray that Axe spray on. You got to put some deodorant on. After you bathe, don't just go two, three days and just keep putting it on. You, get, you hit puberty. You got a new body. Hormones are going. Everything's changed. You're not the same. I say that, and it's funny because we, we've experienced that. You know, some of y'all, you know, you got a funky teenager in the house, and you're like, my God, Holy Spirit, help. Help them mature. Help them. You know, that's how foolish we look when we've been raised with Christ. We, we try to go back to that old life. We try to go back to those old practices. Somebody not acting like they need to be acting on the committee at church. One of the deacons not acting like they need to. So what do we do? We go back to those old practices. We got to get them in line. They're not capturing the vision. We got to deal with them. He says we put those things to death, we put those things aside. And you know what, just like puberty, it's it's a process. We're we're undergoing sanctification. It's just like that that teenage boy, you know, he hits puberty and, you know, in one moment he sounds like this. And then all of a sudden you walk in the room and I'm like, who is this grown man in my house talking? I get on the phone, I'm talking to my wife and I'm like, hold on, who's that man? Oh, that's that's my boy, that's my boy. Then that boy's cracking, it's like, oh Lord. You know, it's a process. We've not yet arrived, but he says, we are in the, the aspect of this imperative about putting away is it's, it's ongoing. We have to continue to do it. Yeah, we walked, we had a victory yesterday. We didn't, we didn't use foul language and we didn't say the things that really came to our mind. You know what? You got to start back over tomorrow. Somebody says something bad and you got to defend yourself and defend your honor. You won today, but you know what? Tomorrow, you got to do it again. Well, because this new you, we're something new. He says in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, we are a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. Our identity. Notice how he closes these verses. He says, there's no Greek or Jew. Circumcision, uncircumcision. You know how ridiculous that would sound back then? He even throws in barbarian. Barbarian wasn't even an ethnicity. It was just wild, crazy people. They ate with their fingers, you know, and didn't use a knife or fork. He says, look, Christ is all in all, meaning when we think about our identity, you know, I said earlier, you know, I, I love the joke and I say I'm, a, I'm born and raised in Dallas and played in Miami and got to play for the Giants and the Bears and the Vikings. But what's, what's, what's funny, if, if you don't know anything about Texas, in Texas, you grow up and you say the Pledge of Allegiance to the American flag and then you turn and you say the Pledge of Allegiance to the Texas flag. I thought every state did that. I thought everybody did that. You don't say, I went to college. You, you don't give allegiance to your state? They're like, no. And I'm like. Yeah, see, that's why we better, all right? Like, it's it's, it's crazy, it's crazy. I'm joking, I'm joking, all right? But follow me, follow me with this. I'm close, I'm I'm almost done. It's, it's, you you build this up and it's like this identity I built up in my state. Then I met somebody in my state and they went from my city. Oh, I had this identity in my city. And then I meet somebody else in my city but they went from my neighborhood oh, I identify with my neighborhood. And then when I would go out from my college, if you were from my college, we were together, we were our people, and it's like, if you went with our college, I identify with my college. And I find that we all do that. We seem to identify with different people, groups, or whatever fits us at the moment in different times. Let me tell you something. When we talk about our identity and we talk about the new you, when he talks about the old man and the new man, because that's the language of the text he's speaking about. We've put off the old man, which is Adam, and we put on the new man, which is Christ. He's speaking about a new eschatological existence, the new humanity in Christ. We put off the old just as all in Adam die, what did he say? All in Christ will yes. How are you in Adam? You're born. How are you in Christ? You're born again. When you've placed faith in Jesus, you would bear it with him, you would raise with him unto the newness of life so that you may walk in victory. And how do I know I have victory over sin and its consequences? Because he's seated at the right hand of God and he sits in victory. For eternity and everlasting and the text promises me and I can believe it because Jesus said it we have the gospel writer said it we got Paul said it and John even says it in his letter and it says that we will be with him we will see him face to face and we will be like him you know what the, the Christian hope is the Christian hope is not that we die and go to heaven the Christian hope is that we die we go to heaven, we come back we get a resurrected body new life new heaven, new earth. No more sickness, no more pain, no more death. I love to joke with my people. Something this practical, no more allergies, people. Praise God. I, I, I truly believe I will have another long set of beautiful hair again. Our death is done away with. These dead follicles will be raised. I say that because the hope is we'll be new life in Christ, new heavens, new earth, forever and ever and ever. That's our motivation. We put off the old person and we know who we are, the new you. So what does he say? Act like it. Live like it, pastor. Ministry leader, put away that old person. When that old person tries to come up, don't resuscitate. Don't pull out a defibrillator because you and your feelings. No, chop the head off and hold it up. new you in Christ you have victory and let's walk in it amen let's give God a hand clap of praise right now father I'm grateful and I pray for my brothers and sisters in this place that you continue to give us the reassurance of who we are and whose we are and that we walk in the victory you have won in Jesus' name amen